online with Shopify. The e-commerce platform that's trusted by over 1 million businesses worldwide. Build your online store without any coding or design experience. Reach more customers with Shopify's social media and marketplace integrations. Instantly accept all major payment methods. Grow your business online with powerful tools that help you find customers, drive sales, and manage your day-to-day, -day, starting at $29 per month. Go to Shopify.com and start your free trial today. The Constitution of the United States of America. September 17, 1787. Preamble. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Article 1. Section 1. All legislative powers herein granted shall be vested in a Congress of the United States, which shall consist of a Senate and House of Representatives. Section 2. The House of Representatives shall be composed of members chosen every second year by the people of the several states, and the electors in each state shall have the qualifications requisite for electors of the most numerous branch of the state legislature. No person shall be a representative who shall not have attained to the age of 25 years and been seven years a citizen of the United States, and who shall not, when elected, be an inhabitant of the state in which he shall be chosen. Representatives and direct taxes shall be apportioned among the several states, which may be included within this union, according to their respective numbers, which shall be determined by adding to the whole number of free persons, including those bound to service for a term of years, and excluding Indians not taxed, three-fifths of all other persons. The actual enumeration shall be made within three years after the first meeting of the Congress of the United States, and within every subsequent term of ten years, in such manner as they shall by law direct. The number of representatives shall not exceed one for every 30,000, but each state shall have at least one representative. And until such enumeration shall be made, the state of New Hampshire shall be entitled to choose three, Massachusetts eight, 
Rhode Island and Providence Plantations, 1. Connecticut, 5. New York, 6. New Jersey, 4. Pennsylvania, 8. Delaware, 1. Maryland, 6. Virginia, 10. North Carolina, 5. South Carolina, 5. And Georgia, 3. When vacancies happen in the representation... Bitcoin, the best money we have ever had. With a different kind of money comes a different kind of card. Crypto.com Visa Card, powered by crypto. Reserve yours now. From any state, the executive authority thereof shall issue writs of election to fill such vacancies. The House of Representatives shall choose their speaker and other officers and shall have the sole power of impeachment. Section 3. The Senate of the United States shall be composed of two senators from each state chosen by the legislature thereof for six years and each senator shall have one vote. Immediately after they shall be assembled in consequence of the first election, they shall be divided as equally as may be into three classes. The seats of the senators of the first class shall be vacated at the expiration of the second year, of the second class at the expiration of the fourth year, and of the third class at the expiration of the sixth year, so that one-third may be chosen every second year. And if vacancies happen by resignation or otherwise during the recess of the legislature of any state, the executive thereof may make temporary appointments until the next meeting of the legislature, which shall then fill such vacancies. No person shall be a senator who shall not have attained to the age of 30 years and been nine years a citizen of the United States, and who shall not, when elected, be an inhabitant of that state for which he shall be chosen. The Vice President of the United States shall be President of the Senate, but shall have no vote unless they be equally divided. The Senate shall choose their other officers and also a President pro tempore in the absence of the Vice President or when he shall exercise the office of President of the United States. The Senate shall have the sole power to try all impeachments. When sitting for that purpose, they shall be on oath or affirmation. When the President of the United States is tried, the Chief Justice shall preside, and no person shall be convicted without the concurrence of two-thirds of the members present. Judgment in cases of impeachment shall not extend further than to removal from office and disqualification to hold and enjoy any office of honor, trust, or profit under the United States. But the party convicted 
shall nevertheless be liable and subject to indictment, trial, judgment, and punishment according to law. Section 4. The times, places, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. But the Congress may at any time by law make or alter such regulations, except as to the places of choosing senators. The Congress shall assemble at least once in every year, and such meeting shall be on the first Monday in December, unless they shall by law appoint a different day. Section 5. Each house shall be the judge of the elections, returns, and qualifications of its own members and a majority of each shall constitute a quorum to do business. But a smaller number may adjourn from day to day and may be authorized to compel the attendance of absent members in such manner and under such penalties as each house may provide. Each house may determine the rules of its proceedings, punish its members for disorderly behavior, and with the concurrence of two-thirds, expel a member. Each house shall keep a journal of its proceedings, and from time to time publish the same. The following pre-recorded political program is sponsored by TV for Goldwater Miller on behalf of Barry Goldwater, Republican candidate for President of the United States. Ladies and gentlemen, we take pride in presenting a thoughtful address by Ronald Reagan. Mr. Reagan. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you and good evening. The sponsor has been identified, but unlike most television programs, the performer hasn't been provided with a script. As a matter of fact, I have been permitted to choose my own words and discuss my own ideas regarding the choice that we face in the next few weeks. I have spent most of my life as a Democrat. I recently have seen fit to follow another course. I believe that the issues confronting us cross party lines. Now. One side in this campaign has been telling us that the issues of this election are the maintenance of peace and prosperity. The line has been used, we've never had it so good. But I have an uncomfortable feeling that this prosperity isn't something on which we can base our hopes for the future. No nation in history has ever survived a tax burden that reached a third of its national income. Today, 37 cents out of every dollar earned in this country is the tax collector's share. And yet our government continues to spend $17 million a day more than the government takes in. We haven't balanced our budget 28 out of the last 34 years. We've raised our debt.
The following pre-recorded political program is sponsored by TV for Goldwater Miller on behalf of Barry Goldwater, Republican candidate for President of the United States. Ladies and gentlemen, we take pride in presenting a thoughtful address by Ronald Reagan. Mr. Reagan. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you and good evening. The sponsor has been identified, but unlike most television programs, the performer hasn't been provided with a script. As a matter of fact, I have been permitted to choose my own words and discuss my own ideas regarding the choice that we face in the next few weeks. I have spent most of my life as a Democrat. I recently have seen fit to follow another course. I believe that the issues confronting us cross party lines. Now, one side in this campaign has been telling us that the issues of this election are the maintenance of peace and prosperity. The line has been used, we've never had it so good. But I have an uncomfortable feeling that this prosperity isn't something on which we can base our hopes for the future. No nation in history has ever survived a tax burden that reached a third of its national income. Today, 37 cents out of every dollar earned in this country is the tax collector's share. And yet our government continues to spend $17 million a day more than the government... In California did. now, it's uh, we 12. We have 28 out of the last 34 years. We've raised our debt limit three times in the last 12 months. And now our national debt is one and a half times bigger than all the combined debts of all the nations of the world. We have $15 billion in gold in our treasury. We don't own an ounce. Foreign dollar claims are $27.3 billion. And we've just had announced that the dollar of 1939 will now purchase 45 cents in its total value. As for the peace that we would preserve, I wonder who among us would like to approach the wife or mother whose husband or son has died in South Vietnam and ask them if they think this is a peace that should be maintained indefinitely. Do they mean peace or do they mean we just want to be left in peace? There can be no real peace while one American is dying someplace in the world for the rest of us. We're at war with the most dangerous enemy that has ever faced mankind in his long climb from the swamp to the stars. 45 cents in its total value. As for the peace that we would preserve, I wonder who among us would like to approach the wife or mother whose husband or son has died in South Vietnam and ask them if they think this is a peace that should be maintained indefinitely. Do they mean peace, or do they mean we just want to be left in peace? There can be no real peace while one American is dying someplace in the world for the rest of us. We're at war with the most dangerous enemy that has ever faced mankind in his long climb from the swamp to the stars. And it's been said if we lose that war, and in so doing lose this way of freedom of ours, history will record with the greatest astonishment that those who had the most to lose did the least to prevent its happening. Well, I think it's time we ask ourselves if we still know the freedoms that were intended for us by the Founding Fathers. Not too long ago, two friends of mine were talking to a Cuban refugee, a businessman who had escaped from Castro. And in the midst of his story, one of my friends turned to the other and said, we don't know how lucky we are. And the Cuban stopped and said, how lucky you are. I had some place to escape to. And in that sentence, he told us the entire story. If we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape to. This is the last stand on Earth. Damn, straight. Damn, damn, damn. Dead on right there. That's the key. 
is still the newest and the most unique idea in all the long history of man's relation to man. This is the issue of this election. Whether we believe in our capacity for self-government or whether we abandon the American Revolution and confess that a little intellectual elite in a far distant capital can plan our lives for us better than we can plan them ourselves. You and I are told increasingly we have to choose between a left or right. Well, I'd like to suggest there is no such thing as a left or right. There's only an up or down. Damn straight. Old, old age dream. The ultimate in individual freedom consistent with law and order. Or down to the ant heap of totalitarianism. And regardless of their sincerity, their humanitarian motives, those who would trade our freedom for security have embarked on this downward course. In this vote harvesting time, they use terms like the great society, or as we were told a few days ago by the president, we must accept a greater government activity in the affairs of the people. But they've been a little more explicit in the past, and among themselves, and all of the things I now will quote have appeared in print. These are not Republican accusations. For example, they have voices that say, the Cold War will end through our acceptance of a not undemocratic socialism. Another voice says the profit motive has become outmoded. It must be replaced by the incentives of the welfare state. Or our traditional system of individual freedom is incapable of solving the complex problems of the 20th century. Senator Fulbright has said at Stanford University that the Constitution is outmoded. He referred to the president as our moral teacher and our leader. And he says he is hobbled in his task by the restrictions of power imposed on him by this antiquated document. He must be freed so that he can do for us what he knows is best. And Senator Clark of Pennsylvania, another articulate spokesman, defines liberalism as meeting the material needs of the masses through the full power of centralized government. Well, I for one resent it when a representative of the people refers to you and me, the free men and women of this country, as the masses. This is a term we haven't applied to ourselves in America. But beyond that, the full power of centralized government. This was the very thing the Founding Fathers sought to minimize. They knew that governments don't control things. A government can't control the economy without controlling people. And they know when a government sets out to do that, it must use force and coercion to achieve its purpose. They also knew those Founding Fathers that outside of its legitimate functions, government does nothing as well or as economically as the private sector of the economy. Now, we have no better example of this than government's involvement in the farm economy over the last 30 years. Since 1955, the cost of this program has nearly doubled. One-fourth of farming in America is responsible for 85% of the farm surplus. Three-fourths of farming is out on the free market and has known a 21% increase in the per capita consumption of all its produce. You see that one-fourth of farming, that's regulated and controlled by the federal government. In the last three years, we've spent $43 in the feed grain program for every dollar bushel of corn we don't grow. Senator Humphrey last week charged that Barry Goldwater as president would seek to eliminate farmers. He should do his homework a little better because he'll find out that we've had a decline of 5 million in the farm population under these government programs. He'll also find that the Democratic administration has sought to get from Congress extension of the farm program to include that three-fourths that is now free. You'll find that they've also asked for the right to imprison farmers who wouldn't keep books as prescribed by the federal government. The Secretary of Agriculture asked for the right 
to seize farms through condemnation and resell them to other individuals. And contained in that same program was a provision that would have allowed the federal government to remove two million farmers from the soil. At the same time, there's been an increase in the Department of Agriculture employees. There's now one for every 30 farms in the United States. And still, they can't tell us how 66 shiploads of grain headed for Austria disappeared without a trace, and Billy Solestis never left shore. <laughs> Every responsible farmer and farm organization has repeatedly asked the government to free the farm economy. But how, who are farmers to know what's best for them? The wheat farmers voted against a wheat program. The government passed it anyway. Now the price of bread goes up, the price of wheat to the farmer goes down. Meanwhile, back in the city, under urban renewal, the assault on freedom carries on. Private property rights so diluted that public interest is almost anything a few government planners decide it should be. In a program that takes from the needy and gives to the greedy, we see such spectacles as in Cleveland, Ohio, a million and a half dollar building completed only three years ago must be destroyed to make way for what government officials call a more compatible use of the land. The president... Shit. Sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. All right. We're going to do another one, actually. Hold on. Hold on. We're going to do another one. All right, guys, if you've been injured in a car accident, you have to check this out. So I just got this check from my attorney for $130,000. I'm going to go cash this immediately. military age male uh, on a cell phone watching the convoy over. Thank you for pointing to a movement. You have a green light. Your call. Over. 
paste it though. Hold on, I got a woman and a kid 200 yards out moving towards the convoy. Her arms aren't swinging, she's carrying something. Yeah, she's got a grenade, she's got an RKG Russian grenade, she's saying to the kid. You got eyes on this? Can you confirm? Fucking evil bitch. Making that little kid do that shit. That fucking evil bitch. Get the fuck off me. If you're working more than 40 hours per week in your service business, you're missing this one critical thing. Look, most business owners providing professional services run almost everything in their business from sales. We're gonna go to Jarhead, baby. Let's do it. Remember Jarhead? You if you haven't no seen it, you gotta watch black, it. You are black, or brown, or yellow, or red. You are now green. You are light green, or dark green. Do you understand? Sir, yes, sir! Swafford. Sir, yes, sir! You the maggot whose father served in Vietnam? Sir, yes, sir! Outstanding! Did he have the balls to die there? Sir, no, sir! Too fucking bad. He ever talk about it? Sir, only once, sir! Good! Then he wasn't lying! Are you eyeballing me with those baby blues? Are you? Sir, no, sir! Are you in love with me, Swafford? Sir, no, sir! Oh, you don't think I look good in my uniform, Swafford? Sir, the drill instructor looks fabulous in his uniform, sir! Oh, so you're gay then, and you love me, huh? Sir, I'm not gay, sir! Do you have a girlfriend, Swafford? Sir, yes, sir! Yes again, motherfucker, Jody's banging her right now! Get on your face and give me 25 for every time she gets fucked this month! Down on your face! It was shortly after meeting drill instructor Fitch that I realized that joining the Marine Corps might have been a bad decision. What in the fuck is this? Sir, it's the recruit's drawing of a footlocker, sir! Jesus, Joseph and doggy style, Mary! That is a pile of dog shit! Sir, the recruit's never been good at drawing, sir! Why the fuck are you my scribe, then? Isn't my scribe supposed to know how to draw? Sir, the recruit doesn't know! The recruit thought the scribe was supposed to write, sir! Of course the recruit doesn't know! The recruit doesn't know because I haven't told him! <clears throat> All right, comfort brains. Show me exactly where your slipped and running shoes go. Sir, the recruit can't think while a drill instructor is hitting him on his head, sir. You can't think while I'm giving you a few love taps? 
How the fuck are you going to fire your rifle when grenades are going off in your face? What the Damn. fuck are you even doing here? Sir! I got lost on the way to college, sir! <laughs> So now my hands were dick skinners. A flashlight was a moonbeam. A pen was an ink stick. My mouth was a cum receptacle. A bed was a rack. My hands were dick skinners. A flashlight was a moonbeam. So now my hands were dick skinners. A flashlight was a moonbeam. Skinners. A flashlight was a moonbeam. A pen was an ink stick. My mouth was a cum receptacle. A bed was a rack. A wall. A pen was an ink stick. My mouth was a cum receptacle. A bed was a rack. A wall was a bulkhead. A shirt was a blouse. A tie was still a tie and a belt a belt. But many other things would never be the same. Here's a little song I wrote You might want to sing it note for note Don't worry Be happy In every life we have some trouble But when you worry you make it double Don't worry Be happy Don't worry, be happy and fuck-ups. Maybe you can elevate the sons of bitches a little. Or maybe not. Next. Jarhead. Now. Slang for Marine. Origin. From the resemblance to a jar of the regulation high and tight haircut. The Marine's head by implication, therefore also a jar, an empty vessel.
See this mug right here? I don't own it, I don't inventory it, and yet I make passive income from it, like clockwork, all the time. Hi, my name is Dave Kettner, and I am a mugpreneur. I create simple images like this onto mugs, and I sell them like clockwork. I'm gonna teach you how you can do the exact same thing. This is probably the easiest business model that there is right now. In fact, it's probably the best business model of this decade. I'm gonna show you why, and it's because you don't have to invest in inventory. So you're not putting money up front. You do not have to manage this inventory. Someone else is doing it for you. And guess what? You don't even need traffic or a website to do it. I know it sounds crazy, but I'm gonna teach you exactly how you can do all this. In fact, I'm gonna have a free workshop where I wanna show you this entire process. I'm gonna show you exactly how to create images like this, what's selling, and where to do it. And I'm gonna show you how you can accomplish that within a few hours of watching my free training. So either above or below this video, you're gonna see a link. I want you to click on that link and sign up for my free training. I'm gonna walk you through the entire process of how this works. Ah, did you hear that? That was actually my phone. That cha-ching you just heard was another sale that I just made. Right there where I was talking to you. How crazy is that? That is what I want for you, where you're actually doing other things and ka-ching, 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 you're making money like clockwork. It is amazing how it works. So I want to show you how to do this on the workshop. In fact, in my training, I'm going to show you some revenue numbers that are going to blow you away. And you're like, well, wait a second. How are mugs like this selling that much? It's because if you think about it, people are buying these for gifts all over the time. They're looking for personalized mugs. They are breaking mugs, so you need, always need more mugs. It sells millions, millions, millions of mugs every single year. I'm going to show you those numbers on the workshop. Also in the workshop, I'm gonna show you how you can easily create these designs, and I'm gonna show you exactly where to load them up so then you can have them selling, making money like I just did there a second ago, like clockwork. In fact, if you stay to the very end of my training in that workshop, I'm going to give you this free new book, Zero to Mugpreneur, How to Build an Online Empire Using a Simple Mug. Like I said, this is something that is brand new, this whole model, but it is something that could be the best business of this decade because you do not realize how simple this is. It is amazing how easy it is and how easy I'm gonna show you how to make it happen. But I need you to make the first step. I can only show you the door, I need you to walk through that door. So either above or below this video, there's that link, sign up for my free training and I will show you exactly how to do it. Stay to the end and I will give you this book absolutely free. I can't wait to share this with you because you're going to be able to achieve things that you never thought possible. So I look forward to catching you in that workshop and I look forward to seeing you then. Take care.
check this out, $100,000 in just a few minutes without knowing anything about this before. If you're watching this and you wanna make money from your laptop or your phone and you're a complete beginner, listen up. I just showed you a screenshot of Martin's account the day he made $100,000 in profit as a complete beginner. The cool thing about this business model is that you don't need any massive upfront investment and you literally need no experience at all. We've made over a million dollars doing this exact same thing in the last six months. Now, if you're not interested in learning how to do this, go ahead and skip the video and I'm sorry for wasting your time. But if you do wanna copy exactly what we do and make money with us in real time, in the next 60 seconds, we're gonna teach you the fastest way I found to make real money online. Follow me. Before I jump into this tutorial and show you exactly how to do this, I just wanted to show you that you can do this from anywhere in the world. I usually do this right here in the comfort of my bedroom, but you can choose to do it wherever you like. You can do it from your car, you can do it on the run, you can even do it if you have a full-time job. That's the coolest thing about this model. I just made 4,700 in minutes this morning. One of the other members made $9,000 using the same copy and paste template. Here's another member that made 6 k And if that's not enough for you, just yesterday one of our members made $60,000 in just one day, simply copying what we did. We all do the exact same thing, and the best part about it is that we do it together. I can show you results for days. We get over 30 new results from our members every single day. Or I can show you exactly how you can do this on the very first day without any sort of previous knowledge. You can click on the screen right now and watch the free tutorial where I show you exactly how to get set up. Complete beginners have made $400, $500, even $800 on the first day. All the results you see on the screen are people who watch the free tutorial and follow the same template we use every day. So I can go on for days showing you millions of dollars in results, or you can just click on the screen and get set up with us and get your own results right now. Did I leave it hanging? I'm sorry, guys. I'll be right back. 
online marketing tools make it easy to stand out while you get the word out. Create email marketing campaigns like a pro with tons of mobile optimized templates. Swap out images and change colors. Promote a sale or launch a new product. Build an awesome website with no tech skills. Look amazing on any device. Set up an online store in a few simple steps. Customize product and cart pages. Accept secure online payments. And do it all from one place. Power on with Constant Contact. Try it free at ConstantContact.com. to make a stylized film about basically war, not necessarily the Vietnam War, but the phenomena of war. I think what he was very interested in doing was watching the transmutation of young men into killers, exploring the metamorphosis that occurs when you take young people and in effect brutalize them and inure them to a sense of right and wrong. looked for short form material that he could adapt and he'd read about Gustav Hasford's The Short Timers in 79 in a publication called Kirkus Reviews. The reason he liked it was because it had humor, it was, it was full of craziness and it was totally off the wall. And that's what Stanley always liked, surprises and off the wall things. The problem was by the time he'd thought of making a film about the Vietnam War, which would have been around 79, all of a sudden, Apocalypse Now appeared. I don't believe that Kubrick was ever influenced very much by outside events. Um, his tendency was to let other people do the thing, and then he would come in and do the great one. Uh, he did that with Vietnam. He let everybody else do their Vietnam film, and then he comes in with Full Metal Jacket. He contacted Michael Herr, who wrote um, a lot of Munchin's dialogue for Apocalypse Now. Michael Herr was a great expert. He, he wrote this book, Dispatches. So he was a top authority on that period. They undertook what Herr has described as one phone call lasting three years with interruptions. And Herr would turn out draft after draft of the screenplay. So the buzz was in Hollywood. Stanley Kubrick's making a Vietnam movie. Well, you gotta get in that movie. Mr. Kubrick at that point was putting out his message that he was willing to look at anybody's audition tapes. So you had every actor in the world making these audition tapes and sending them off. Herman Joker, are you trying to offend me? Sir, negative, sir! Sir, the private believes that any answer he gives will be wrong, and the senior drill instructor will beat him harder if he reverses himself, sir! Matthew Modine was shooting Birdie at the time that Kubrick first expressed an interest in him. And Alan Parker sent Kubrick some taped material of Matthew Modine doing his actorly bit, being the most birdie that he could be, thinking that this is how Stanley would see what Matthew Modine was capable of doing as an actor. But Stanley was looking for something different. And it was only because 
There was a little bit of extra tape at the end where you just saw Matthew Modine not speaking, not acting, but just kind of being. That gave Kubrick the idea that he wanted Matthew Modine in his film. He's a very good actor. At that time, he wasn't yet a superstar, but he had all the qualities to be one. I wanted to meet interesting and stimulating people of an ancient culture and kill them. I wanted to be the first kid on my block to get a confirmed kill. He was incredibly talented. He reminded me of a, a Jimmy Stewart. Very easygoing actor, very simple, and electrifying on screen. Right shoulder! Matthew was actually also instrumental in getting Vincent D'Onofrio, who had no film experience at the time. Um, Matthew and Vince had been friends since they appeared on stage together. I was working at the front door of the Hard Rock Cafe as a bouncer, and Matthew and his wife walked by, and I said, hey, man, where have you been? And he said he's doing this Kubrick thing, and, and that there was a part available. Hi, Joker. I didn't even think about being in film. I, I saw a lot of films, but I saw film actors as being very different people than myself. Clearly, he was a talented young actor. It has been proven because he made a big career since then. A talented young actor who was flexible and also was willing to put on the weight. He asked me early on, would I be all right with gaining this weight? And, you know, I said yes, and then I went over there and I gained about 30 pounds, and, and I remember him seeing it and saying that I only look like I could kick everybody's ass, so he thought some more weight would be needed, and I think it went up to 80 pounds. I think I went from 2 to 280. You cannot do one single pull-up! You are a worthless piece of shit, pile! Now, the problem is, when you bulk up for a Stanley Kubrick movie, you have to stay bulked up for God knows how long. You know, you don't know how long the shoot's gonna last. And I think that probably took its toll on Vince's body. The fucking war will be over by the time we get up there warning private pile! People treat you differently when you're that size. And, you know, you gotta remember, my head was shaved. So it was like a completely different persona from the being this like long, lanky actor to a big, burly guy with a bald head. You know, it was a very strange life change. As far as I'm concerned, Vince turned out to be the best part of the film. Left shoulder! Right shoulder! I'm not a military type. I'm not um, turned on by it. I don't like guns. I'm an actor, and I know how to take apart an M16 and put it back together blindfolded. Stanley made my career. There's no question to that. No question. I've done over 50 films because of him. Because of that part. Because Stanley cast me. There is no other reason why I'm working. Easy, Leonard. Go easy, man. God was here before the Marine Corps. Now you can give your heart to Jesus, but your ass belongs to the Corps. Do you ladies understand? We needed an advisor who, who told us exactly how the details work. For example, the movements that they do with the guns. A normal person doesn't know this. 
So we called an office in the United States that represents ex-Marines. And we asked for a drill instructor. Well, I found myself retired out of the Marine Corps uh, back in 1971. And I, I thought, well, I had no proper education, so really not much to fall back on. Got a phone call from Stanley Kubrick out of the clear blue one evening. And we talked about a full metal jacket. And he hired me as technical. Stand at ease. Hi, good morning everybody. My name is Lieutenant Medvick and I'll be doing the oath of enlistment swearing ceremony this morning. A few administrative notes before we get started. Welcome family, friends, recruiters. Please feel free to move around, take pictures, take video as the ceremony is taking place. The only thing that we ask is that you do keep video and pictures to this room or outside the maps, nowhere else inside the maps. As we're going through the process, applicants, please note behind me, to my right and to my left, is the oath of enlistment. It'll be up there for you to read, read along, or you can repeat after me as we're going through the, the process. You'll each have an opportunity to state your name independently of the group. I will say I state your full name, starting with you, sir, on the right, my left, your right, until we get down to the person here on the end. You all state your name independently. After everybody has stated their name independently of the group, we will continue on with, do you solemnly swear or affirm? You will either say swear or you will say affirm, but not both. And then I'll wrap it up with, so help me God. If you choose, you may say, so help me God, or you can omit it. It's completely up to you. Any questions on that? Before you enter this room, you receive briefings, specifically on UCMJ articles 83, 85, and 86. Do all of you understand the briefings you received and its application to you? Yes, sir. Second, we're an all-volunteer force, which means that none of you are required to take the oath of enlistment today. At this time, do any of you have any reservations or wish to be excused from taking the oath? Yes, sir. So congratulations on making it to this point. Only about 75% of our applicants that come through our front doors here at MAPS actually make it to the swearing ceremony process. Also, take great pride in knowing that you're going to join the ranks of approximately 1.3 million, or just 1% of the population that has chosen to raise their right hand and defend this great nation. So as you're going through the oath today, as you're speaking the words that are printed up here behind me, keep that in mind. Think about what it means to you. Think about that going forward. Today is a solemn day. Today is the day you will swear into your branch of service. Does anybody have any questions of me? When we are done here, I'll have you guys fall out. You'll head back over to the ceremony briefing room where you just came from. You'll secure anything you have on the desk, and then you'll move to the back of the room, and we'll go over your contracts. Family, friends, recruiters, please feel free to stay here inside the ceremony room. When they are done, we'll have them come back over, and they can get pictures with you guys as soon as they're complete with their contract. So if there's no questions, are you gentlemen ready? Yes, sir. Take a deep breath. All right, remember, swear or affirm, not both, all right? Go. Attention. Raise your right hand and repeat after me. Hi, state your full name. Hi, Roman Crow. Hi, Kate Pollock. Hi, Jacob Yost. Do you solemnly swear or affirm? That I will support and defend. The Constitution of the United States. Constitution of the United States. Against all enemies. Foreign and domestic. That I will bear true faith. And allegiance. To the same. And I will obey the orders. Of the President. Of the United States. And the orders. Of the officers. Appointed over me. According to. According to regulations, regulations and the uniform code, and the uniform code of military justice, of military justice. So help me God. So help me God. Arms down. Congratulations. Give a round of applause.
right, gentlemen, once again, on the command to fall out, you're going to fall. We're doing a take in the oath uh, special for The most rewarding part of my day, hands down, is when I am uh, given the privilege of swearing in applicants into the military. The young men and women of today come up to the MEPS to uh, pick their job. Um, we run them through a series of uh, uh, many different things. We have to run them through a, a medical process, make sure they're qualified there. And then we take their fingerprints, send them off to the FBI, make sure they're cleared that way. People that we consider DEPRs uh, or delayed entry, they will come back at a later date and ship out the basic training. Now the shippers that were here today, those are the ones that have been through the process already, and today is their day to ship out the basic training. So they will actually leave the MEPS, uh, go over to the airport, and ship out to their basic, uh, basic training reception battalion. As a military member, you occupy a unique position in society. You represent the military establishment. This special status brings with it responsibilities to uphold and maintain the dignity and high standards of the United States Armed Forces at all times and all places. I want to congratulate you, first of all. Okay. You're heading to where? Fort Benning, correct? Yes, sir. Okay. You'll be going to the airport in about uh, an hour and a half. Okay. So you have plenty of time to relax, uh, get your thoughts together. Today you have a job to do. Your mission is to get to boot camp. Okay. As a recruiter, it was the most rewarding when an individual come back from MEPS qualified and happy. So here, I think, I, I find it rewarding every time an individual steps into the swearing room. I kind of take them baby steps, walk them through the process, exactly what's going to happen during the ceremony, you know, things that are going to be asked to them so they're prepared. But then when we get ready to take the oath, you know, I want them to stick their chest out a little bit, you know, and raise that hand high and be proud of what they're going to do. That's very important. Attention on deck. Good morning, everyone. Go ahead and stand at ease. We are privileged to have them come into the military. This is a voluntary service. This is not uh, a draft era, and that can be very uh, emotional and rewarding. You don't raise your right hand and say, you know, I get to go to college. I get to, you know, have medical care. I have, it's I support and defend the Constitution of the United States, and it hits some kids really hard that that's really why they're joining, and I try to remind them of that. And then when they come out of there, they have a, a new sense of pride and patriotism that they probably never felt before in their life. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land, we unleash the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. The price for this freedom at times has been high, but we have never been unwilling to pay that price. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. Each one of those markers is a monument to the kind of hero I spoke of earlier. Their lives ended in places called Bellow Wood, the Argonne, Omaha Beach, Salerno, and halfway around the world on Guadalcanal, Tarawa, 
Porkchop Hill, Pechosin Reservoir, and in a hundred rice paddies and jungles of a place called Vietnam. Under one such marker lies a young man, Martin Treptow. Use a single HR software? Nope. We use 11. 11. Why do an expense report from your phone when you can do it from a machine that jams? I just emailed my wife's social security number to the entire company instead of HR. So. staple genre in cinema, but not all of them are as accurate as they appear. The Hurt Locker, for example, is critically acclaimed, but is unanimously considered unrealistic by Iraq war veterans. So we've compiled a top 10 list of war movies and miniseries that really nail the experience of actually going to war, according to actual veterans. Keep in mind that realistic doesn't necessarily mean historically accurate, and different movies resonate differently with individual veterans. That said, it's time to drop and give you 10. Number 10. Jarhead. Jarhead starring Jake Gyllenhaal is a debatably accurate portrayal of the Gulf War, based off the memoir of U.S. Marine Anthony Swifford. While many veterans feel that the film disgraces the Marines with exaggerated antics, others say that it captures one aspect of war very well, the waiting. It isn't unheard of for troops to do a tour without ever seeing action firsthand. Downtime on deployment can be maddening, with moments of terror interjected between hours and hours of monotony. For this reason, the hotly contested Jarhead makes the bottom of our list. 
Number nine, Lone Survivor. Mark Wahlberg's Lone Survivor has its share of Hollywood action sequences, but it is praised for its portrayal of military tactics, deadly communication issues, and accurate usage of weaponry. The forest shootout in particular is considered a solid representation of the claustrophobic chaos that accompanies firefights. Lone Survivor also showcases real moral dilemmas that troops face and the potential loss of life that taking the moral high ground can lead to. Number eight, Black Hawk Down. Black Hawk Down gets criticized for skewing the historical events of the Battle of Mogadishu to paint the U.S. forces in a more competent light. But veterans agree that the film truly captures the combat experience. They have described the movie as rage and PTS-inducing because of its bleak firefights. Number seven, Full Metal Jacket. Boot camp varies from branch to branch of the military, but many servicemen say Full Metal Jacket is in line with their training experience, you know, minus the whole murder-suicide. Full Metal gets the training regiment, obstacle courses, and the day-to-day -day of basic correct. Modern-day drill instructors aren't nearly as abusive as Sergeant Hartman, but they will still go as far as they are allowed to harden their recruits into battle-ready soldiers. Number six, Stalingrad. The 1993 German movie Stalingrad is an anti-war film depicting the Battle of Stalingrad from the perspective of the Germans, who, if you remember your history, lost that battle. One of the great things about Stalingrad is that it comes without the lens of nationalism behind it. It makes a point to show just how hopeless the German soldiers became throughout the battle, and those that didn't die on the field froze to death or committed suicide. Number five, Saving Private Ryan. Saving Private Ryan is regarded as one of the best war films ever and has one of the most realistic combat scenes in the history of cinema. The opening landing scene on Omaha Beach during the invasion of Normandy is a brutal depiction of the realities of war. Unrelenting waves of blood, mud, and bullets fill the first 20 minutes as hundreds of bodies fall. After this scene, however, Spielberg starts to take artistic liberties with the events of the film. Number four, Come and See. Come and See is a Russian war drama about the Nazi occupation of Belarus. While certain aspects of the film venture into surrealism, Come and See is realistic to its core, so much so that the director insisted on using live ammunition in certain scenes. Come and See highlights the emotional tolls that people pay when they see the horrors of war firsthand. Number three, Band of Brothers. While not a movie, the miniseries Band of Brothers is considered one of the best depictions of World War II. The 12-hour miniseries is based off a real infantry regiment, and the actors kept in constant contact with the actual veterans they were portraying. On top of this, Band of Brothers has realistic battles that rival Saving Private Ryan. Number two, Generation Kill. In many ways, Generation Kill is the most realistic depiction of modern soldiers to date. The seven-part miniseries is both dark and humorous, capturing the twisted psyches that soldiers adopt while at war. Generation Kill is remarkably truthful down to the smallest detail, like Skittles being part of MRE rations. For these small details, Generation Kill nabs a number two spot. Number one, Restrepo. Nothing beats the real thing, so it is no surprise that the documentary Restrepo tops our list. Restrepo is comprised of first-hand footage of the Afghanistan war and is the rawest look of what it's like to be on the front lines of a battlefield. Restrepo drops viewers into the adrenaline-pulsing action with real lives on the line and is a must-watch film for understanding warfare no matter what your political stance on war is. So there they are, the 10 most realistic war movies. Be sure to leave a like if you agree with our list, or leave a comment if you think another movie deserves to make the cut. And if you like these sort of lists, please subscribe for more pop culture obsessions.
getting on hill. 9.43, baby. On the brake! <laughs> the fucking brake! There is a hill in Vietnam, a nameless, uninhabited hill, known only by a number, 943, 943 meters high. This is a story of the men of Alpha Company who tried to take that hill. In particular, it is the story of three men. Jim Buckner, 26, private first class, a draftee. In private life, he is manager of his father's restaurant in Derby, New York. Next one after this one. Bruce Black, 21, a California college dropout. He threatened to go over the hill rather than go to Vietnam. In a year, he is promoted to sergeant. I'll tell you, you get on one of them anyway. You definitely get on, get on one of them. J.C. Harry Charles Joseph Coons, 29, from Georgia. Married, two children. One third of his life in the army. A sergeant. A career soldier for $615 a month. J.C., the professional, Bruce Black, the college kid, and Jim Buckner, the draftee, have become friends in their four months in Vietnam. They share an equal dislike for their one-year tour of duty. Black calls it a jail sentence. The region where they are fighting is among the most remote in the world, the mountainous backbone of Indochina, virtually uninhabitable rainforest. Dok To, one district in the wilderness. It is the area of the border junction of South Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos, a sanctuary, supply base, and staging area for North Vietnamese operations into the highlands. In recent weeks, the enemy has moved in on Dok To, and the Americans are driving them out. One of the objectives is Hill 943. The fight for Hill 943 will not appear in any history of the Vietnam War. It was an insignificant, unspectacular fight, near the end of what was called the Battle of Dok To. And those of us reporters here covering the larger campaign did not notice 943 we did not witness the fighting there. There were three men who went up the hill with the soldiers. Cameraman Eric Derschmid, soundman Sepp Tama, and assistant cameraman soundman Hubert Le Campion. And they recorded what happened in the lives of a few young men in a few days. This is not a typical war story, but more something of the typical routine, the drama of daily life in the field. It is something about why the war in Vietnam is so unusual and why these men are so similar to those who have gone to war before. This is a CBS News special, Hill 943, with CBS News correspondent John Lawrence. This broadcast is brought to you by your local quality Buick dealers.
I met some Laotians and some Vietnamese uh, elders at a um, Thai Buddhist temple, a Thai, Laotian, and Vietnamese Buddhist temple. I lived there for like uh, three months, actually, uh, back in like 2013. Uh, Yeah, the beginning months of 2013. But anyways... Um, they thanked America for going down there and the Laotians helped out during that time period as well because nobody liked Ho Chi Minh. He was fucking doing what he was doing. It was fucking nuts. But meanwhile, I play a lot of Vietnamese stuff, uh, Vietnam War type stuff because my father was in it. So I, I kind of, you know, think it's cool that he was. And my youngest brother, he's 10 years younger than I am. Uh, he was on the USS uh, Ronald Reagan and a cousin of mine. He was in Afghanistan and, and passed away. Um, he was uh, on his uh, mission and he he was uh, killed during his tour, which is uh, a shame. And uh, we we uh, we praise him every year and every month and and as much as my uncle does. I always like his pages. Oh, I'll be sharing them on the Facebook page in the near future. Um, I haven't yet. I uh, haven't asked for permission. I'm going to ask him permission first because it's kind of rude to have your son on a page without permission. So I'll go ahead and do that. And he's my cousin, so I don't want to be disrespectful so, to anybody, of course. But let's get back into that. This, this Vietnam little uh, documentary. Around the men, as close as 100 yards. There are 114 men in the patrol, four platoons, 16 squads. JC leads a heavy weapons squad in second platoon. A company has been in the field for 10 days. 10 days of walking, crawling through the jungle. Eight, 10 hours a day. It has been two weeks since serious contact with the enemy. Hey, you can't pull it. It's on. The colonel, battalion commander, Jamie Hendricks. Code name, Grizzly. Grizzly recalls this mission. We're making a reconnaissance ahead of the rifle companies which are moving overland to 943. Intelligence has reported that enemy occupies 943. And we always make it a habit of making a visual reconnaissance from the air before our elements on the ground move into it. I'm thinking about the route the entity companies are covering on the ground below me. I'm making this reconnaissance as close to treetop level as possible in order to get a better view down through the trees. Coming over Hill 943, we just made a sharp bank with a chopper. Suddenly there was a, an explosion, 
and then uh, suddenly a mass of red smoke. The aircraft had been hit by a 50 caliber anti-aircraft gun. One round came in about three inches past my left foot, went up through my radio equipment, detonated a red smoke grenade I had uh, hanging on my radio. Came out through a clipboard I was riding on on top of the radio, and it was metal fragments from the grenade and uh, parts of the radio that hit me in the face. minute preparation this morning before these companies move out. affects the attitude of Alpha Company. Suspicion becomes certainty. The enemy is up ahead on 943. JC moves his squad up. Five to Charlie, five to Bravo. About thirty meters from six. No contact with. Should be catching up some. Hey, be back along the Sergeant Williams, another squad leader in second platoon. The worst thing about the war. The hills. I'm those hills. Beating your way through it. It's being sniped at. Don't know where it's coming from, shooting at shadows. Artillery going around us now, and that's hairy. You don't know when that shrapnel's coming in on you. 
I want a new one if I get one, an SK. What I'm looking for is a pistol, a Russian type. I don't know if I'll get it or not. Unless we find an officer up there or something. You think so? <laughs> Put you on ambush for the next 10 days straight. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? No big thing. We're all fairly new. We've got about eight months. Some got five months left to do over here. And I hope it goes faster than it is. No, they gone by all right, but not as fast as I want them to go. I'm looking forward to getting out of here. That's amazing. The column moves forward again. It is one day's march to the hill. <laughs> First evidence of the enemy, bunkers. Black has thrown in a grenade. There are new men in his squad, reluctant to search the hole. Black goes down himself. The bunker is 40 feet deep, with stairways, wells, interconnecting tunnels, and an underground mess hall. J.C. has taken a look. It is the most elaborate bunker complex 2nd Platoon has seen. They put the cool off, man. You breathe that junk. You better wait till the smoke gets out of there. They choked on the last one. The enemy has left behind some supplies. A barber shop, communications wire, bedding, a sardine can. The men are aware that the enemy they are chasing is not Viet Cong, but a regular unit of the North Vietnamese Army. The bamboo helmet is proof. Where'd they get the sardine can from? What I said and shut the hell up. Do what your high command says, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. Like an old lady. You don't have an LP, you better come back and get a tattoo. A landing zone must be cut and blasted so that helicopters can bring in supplies. One soldier has been hit by a falling tree. What's wrong with the doctor? What's What's his pulse? One twenty. Is he working on the LZ? Yes, he was. Behind the tree? Alpha Company's commander, Captain David Foy. Went behind the tree, curved back and hit him.
as often as they are resupplied, the men get mail. Darn Eggman. some of these letters they can sure make you homesick a letter from home for jim buckner can't wait until i get back next august boy and they have one big party i hope when i get back I sure miss the good times and all the people. It's funny how you sure miss it. When I was back there working, I really didn't like it that much. And working for your family. But now when you're away from it, you miss it. Home? Home. My wife. JC's wife writes him almost every day. That's a real good uh, mailman dispatch to be getting mail every day from Vietnam. That's badass. Everything's nice. I'll leave out the other parts. It's 1,000. An airstrike. 1,000 pound bombs to blast the hill. Strikes and the artillery pound the hill throughout the night. The next day, 200 yards from Hill 943, the enemy's command post is discovered. Grizzly makes a personal inspection. What did they do with these baskets? These are the devices they use to raise and lower things down to the cave. Like the old-fashioned well. That's the other one right there. That's what we started. Yes, sir. They were up there looking around. I put him up there for security, you know, just to see what the area looked like. Okay, we want to destroy this ladder here. Yes, sir. Get your recon patrol ready to go. 
Grizzly orders his men to move out. It is two days since he was shot. This beauty is the newest baby from GMC, the truck people from General Motors. Take a good look. We're going to tear it apart just to prove a point. What a difference a name makes. GMC pickups have double headlamps. The world's greatest selections of pickup engines. V8 engines with up to 310 horsepower. More color combinations than you can get on a lot of cars, plus buckets and carpeting. An exclusive front coil rear leaf suspension, rugged yet comfortable. A load box with double-double steel walls. GMC gives you a lot more truck for your money, and yet there's no difference in price. Talk about it with your GMC truck dealer. GMC, the truck people from General Motors. Ladies and gentlemen, the Esso advertising manager wants to get rid of the Esso Tiger. Do you want to see the Tiger go? You're going to get a chance to tell us in an election between the ad manager and the Tiger. Who will win? That's up to you. We're strictly neutral. The ad manager wants to fire the S.O. Tiger. How do you feel about that? It's a funny thing you should ask. I, I think that's so unfair. Fire a tiger? Well, I think lots of people uh, know so much about him. Why should they fire him? We're asking people who they're voting for in the election. The S.O. Tiger or the ad manager who wants to fire him? I'm going to vote for the tiger. The tiger. The tiger. The tiger. The tiger. You repeat your question. Oh, the tiger. For the tiger. The tiger, all the way. I'm going to vote for the ad man. <laughs> Don't let him get rid of the tiger. Alpha Company has reached the base of Hill 943. The patrol begins. A reconnaissance squad is on the point up ahead. J.C., Buckner, and Black with 2nd Platoon in the rear. 50 yards from the top, the point squad is ambushed. The word is passed down the hill. Alpha Company has taken casualties. You guys hear how bad he was hit? Did you hear anything about it? Buckner. J.C. Tell him to be real careful. One guy got hit. Be looking out real good. Hey, Jim. Black. Tell him not just to watch up in the trees, but for spider holes like that land. Yeah. Buckner's fire team is 50 yards from the front. You think they dug in? I think they used probably left a handful behind. Snipers and then spider holes. Turn up in them trees and <clears throat> spread them off. There probably ain't more than five of them at the most. They leave them back more for harassment than anything else. They can get a couple okay. If we go up online, they probably pull out. Just makes it a little harder, that's all. You scared? A little. 
little or much. Well, when you first done those shots, first one off, you get real scared, you know. Now that you're down under cover a little bit, you start thinking about it. Calm down. But I'm glad I'm not up in the lead. Yeah. I got Rich over on that side. Tom's over there. Down the banks. What would you like to be right now? Right now, I'd like to be back home. Sitting on a beach with a cold six-pack. What do you think of this boy? Huh? What do you think of the war? Um... <clears throat> I don't know. It's... I don't believe that... we should sit back and pull out the way everybody's talking. I think we should be here and stop it. Stop communism here. I know from some of the things I've seen, I wouldn't want anything like this to be going on in my country. So it's better to... fight in somebody else's country and have everything... Well... When you first done those shots, first one off, you get real scared, you know. Now that you're down under cover a little bit, you start thinking about it. Calm down. But I'm glad I'm not up in the lead. Yeah. I got Rich over on that side. Tom's over there. Down the banks. Then get a couple, okay. We go up. Black. Tell them not just to watch up in the trees, but for spider holes. Black ambush. The word is passed down the hill. Alpha Company has taken casualties. You guys hear how bad he was hit? Did you hear anything about it? Fuck no. Hey, Rip. JC. Tell him to be real careful. One guy got hit. Did you hear anything about it? Fuck no. Hey, Rip. JC. Tell him to be real careful. One guy got hit. Be re looking out real good. Hey, Jim. Black. Tell him not just to watch. Buckner's fire team is 50 yards from the front. I think they probably left a handful behind. Snipers and then spider holes. Set them up in them trees and <coughs> spider holes. There probably ain't more than five of them. At the most. They leave them back more for harassment than anything else. If they can get a couple, okay. If we go up online, they'd probably pull out. This makes it a little harder, that's all. You scared? A little. A little or much? Well, when you first done those shots, first one off, you get real scared, you know. Now that you're down under cover a little bit, you start thinking about it. Calm down. But I'm glad I'm not up in the lead. Yeah. I got Rich over on that side. Tom's over there. 
on the banks. What would you like to be right now? Right now, I'd like to be back home. Sitting on a beach with a cold six-pack. What do you think of this war? Huh? What do you think of the war? Well, <clears throat> I don't know. It's... I don't believe that we should sit back and pull out the way everybody's talking. I think we should be here and stop it. Stop communism here. I know from some of the things I've seen. Come again? You know that they are out there waiting for you? I know they're out there, but as far as you can't see them, like the sergeant says, you, you know they're out there, but that's it. You don't know where. I'm scared too. I'd like to be home with my wife. I wouldn't want anything like this to be going on in my country. So it's better to fight in somebody else's country and have everything messed up. With that said, uh, we'll be right back. Uh, actually, we're going to go into the next hour. So uh, be ready for the next hour, baby. It's coming up.